Howdy, howdy. Glad you're here today. We're in a message series called Mass Exodus. It's the life of Moses. We're almost done, right? It's like one more week after this and we're uh, on to a new thing. But it's been quite a story as we've taken a look at this reluctant guy who didn't really want to do what God wanted him to do. And, and now he's uh, leading a nation out of Egypt. And uh, we've been trying really for the most part to answer the question that Pharaoh asked, um, who is this God that I should worship him? So when Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, you need to let the people go, he's like, mm, why? Well, God told me to tell you. Mm, uh, no, like, I don't worship your God. I'm okay with you worshiping your God. You can worship your God. I've got a bunch of gods I like. You like yours, that's fine. But who is your God that he should be telling me what to do? And that's fair, right? We We understand that. We you know, hey, you know, you worship your own God. As long as he doesn't intrude in my life, that's cool with me. I'm glad, happy for you. I just don't think I should worship your God because who is your God who should be telling me what to do? And so God has been trying his best to answer that question for Pharaoh and, and for us on why we should worship God. For some time, God's trying to convince Pharaoh and the nation of, Egypt, uh, of Israel wants to leave so that they can worship. In a, in, after the nation of Israel leaves Egypt, we're going to fast forward just for a second. After they leave Egypt, God gives them ten commandments. This is how, if you're going to worship me, this is how we're going to do life, right? So if you're going to worship me, here's the ten big deals that I want our nation to live by. And uh, I want to read those, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, I'm not going to read them all, but I'll just read a couple. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God. Who rescued you? So reinforcing, right? I'm the guy. Got you out. Uh, the place of your slavery. You Here we go. Number one, you must not have any other God but me. I know it's tempting. You're going to probably drift this way. It won't, uh, you're going to remember those gods in Egypt and you're going to want to worship like you need that, right? But you must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. And we're like, well, is that a real, like, why is that a big deal? Like, but we'll get there. You must not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Here's why. I'm jealous. Who will not, and I will not tolerate. See, you know, again, we love the word tolerate in our culture today. Really big deal, right? But God does not tolerate what? Your affection for any other gods. He doesn't have any room for that. No exclusions. No like, hey, would it be okay? Nope, it is not okay. I lay this, and here's why. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family will be affected if you do this. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Some of you are products of your great-grandma and grandpa's decision to reject God and stop following him and not go to church and all that kind of stuff. You're like, why, right? And you're thinking, gosh, we never went to church. We don't, somewhere back in, right? Somebody said, hmm. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to do our own thing. And so he didn't grow up with, with church or God or nothing. 
And uh, you think, well, we didn't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about this. I don't even know who Moses is, right? So that's all right. But that, but that was a decision that made a long time ago. Affects your family. That's why our decisions that we make today are generational. It's not just me, right? Do it. It's generational. In fact, it can be also for good. Check this out. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who do what love me and obey my commands so the ramifications that we make today on following god will be poured out for generation after generation after generation for those of us who love god and obey his commands so the big honking deals right the first two no other gods no little idols now, some of you are like, oh, sweet, I got this. I got this figured out. I, I don't have any little idols. Used to, but I don't really, you know, it's like, well, that one time when I need to sell my house and uh, little St. Thomas buried upside down for a little while, but it sold and we're good, you know. Or I, I, I don't have this little, uh, well, I, I have a horseshoe that I tap on game day uh, or my lucky T-shirt. Right? We have these little things that there are good luck charms. That's why a, an idol is like a good luck charm. Uh, hey, uh, bring me a new girlfriend, right? Or get me a job, right? And we bow down before some little thing that gives us good luck. Hey, I wore this, my lucky shirt. It's my good luck charm, right? And God has been doing his very best to send us, even still to this day, reminders that these little things that we're worshiping won't deliver us from anything now the the three big gods that i think that we really pay attention to in our culture today is is money and sex and power right and those those are the th- and, we, and we and we even sometimes build things as a result of that right so bill gates last year made four billion dollars with a b nine million dollars billion dollars Four billion, and he is worth ninety-one billion dollars himself. By himself, he's worth ninety-one billion. It would be more than that, but he's given a whole bunch of billions to his foundation. So the guy has made a lot of money. He had in his house. He has twenty-four bathrooms. It's a high value to him to be within fifteen feet of a bathroom. I guess. Like, how does that work? 20? Who wants to clean that? Well, when you're a bazillionaire, you can hire people to clean your bathroom. All 24 of them. It took them seven years to build the house. <laughs> wow. Now, is that, uh, I don't even have a problem with that. Making money, that's a no big, like, that's great. Be careful, though, that if that's what you're worshiping, Right. God will send subtle reminders to you that if you're worshiping that, it can all just go away. In fact, I was reading about uh, some philanthropy stuff and, and you know, giving our kids things. And um, that what they're finding is that when I give my kid my business or that kind of stuff, that within a, a, a generation or two, it'll all be gone. Because that kid didn't build that business. And didn't buy into it. Doesn't mind the the yachts and the cars and the train, you know, all that stuff. But they don't have the drive or the energy or the intelligence to pull that off. So be careful what you give your kids, right? Because and we think, oh, it's going to last forever. It's just it's just just gone. 
So God sends us reminders all the time. Don't worship money. Sex is another thing that, boy, that sure, you know, like it, it is everywhere. It is a big deal. And, and uh, we just can't get away from it. And, and yet God all the time sends us little reminders. Oh, this is a bad, if you worship that. When I was a kid growing up, we sang this song. If loving you is right, I don't want to be wrong, right? And how can it feel, you know, like it, it feels so good. Uh, I was going to quote songs, to, and those are fairly, like, uh, it, it, if I was to quote songs from today about sex, you like you would fire me, right? It's like, oh, and, and it's, just, it's just out there. But God sends this little reminder. If you worship sex, you're going to be disappointed. Recently, one of my, I would say, heroes, uh, mentors, uh, leaders that I followed, uh, read his books, attended his seminars. Uh, Bill Hybels, a pastor of, of uh, Willow Creek Community Church, a founding pastor of that. It's the, one of the top five churches in the nation. Over 25,000 people attend their church. And an incredible leader. And I read everything I could get my hands on from that guy. And it recently came out that he had had multiple uh, inappropriate relationships with women, and most of them were on his staff. And it had been covered up, and you know, it was like that way. And they've had, well, everything kind of broke loose. There's been all kinds of articles written in the New York Times, the Chicago Trib. And uh, he denied stuff, and people backed him up, and, and, and on. And then there'd be more and more res- re- revelations about it. And again, for me, it was massively confusing because he taught me so much about boundaries and appropriate kind of stuff when it came to women. He hired women who were preachers and on his staff were el- women elders. And, and I just, you know, he just helped me. And so it was super confusing when I read this and disturbing. Uh, but it has come out that, you know, it's just a mess. Well, as a result of that, Bill has resigned. Now the entire board of their church has resigned. The senior pastors that he appointed to take his place have resigned. It's just imploding. All because of a worship of something that you weren't supposed to worship. It's just a reminder to me, boy, if you worship that, it'll leave you empty. And it could implode your entire life's work. Power is another thing we worship. Boy, boy, we really like power, especially in our culture today. In fact, we talk about that all the time. A political world. We didn't have to talk about it all the time, but now we talk about it all the time. You used to be like, hey, we elect a few people and they'd get into, we even said this, they would come into power. They didn't have it, but now we have given them, we have given them power. Now the Democrats want to get What? power back and the republicans want to hold on to their power and we even say this about our president he's the most powerful man on the planet right yes we love power and let's have that right and so we worship that and what we've discovered is that uh power does what it corrupts and it can be all and so god sends a subtle reminder if you worship power whether it's in political world or corporate world or um you know, in your own home, power is something that can be just, it just can wipe an entire life out. So the last God, that God is going to try to do his very best to, to uh, show Pharaoh that um, what he's worshiping 
won't deliver. Uh, it's basically really the worship of himself. Pharaoh saw himself as God, and so did the nation of Egypt as well, too. He was worshipped as a god. And we have a problem with that as well. I build my own, we even say this, I'm, I'm building my own little kingdom. I'm building my own empire. Uh, I, I'm the king of my castle. And uh, again, the, God sends a reminder to Pharaoh, the supreme ruler is not somebody to be worshipped. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1, and uh, I included uh, the whole chapter in here. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I would include, uh, encourage you to read through the whole chapter um, uh, later on. But uh, here we go, Exodus chapter 12. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. So here's the new calendar. Announce to the whole community um, of Israel that on the 10th day of the, this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. So we're not going to waste anything. And if people are too uh, poor to be able to afford this, this is a community thing. So get together with other people and do this. You know, it's like you don't get an out. Hey, we can't afford it. Or, uh, you know, we're too small. It's just me and my wife. Hey, we're going to do this in community, right? So... Um, Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you must, uh, uh, the animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. So this is your most prized animal. It's the male animal. It's probably your most valuable, maybe your most valuable possession because you can use this animal to have other animals. This is this is massively important. And again, we tend to think, why would he want the best? And again, the nation of Israel would drift towards this. In fact, we would even drift this. Like, why is God asking me for my very best? Why is he asking for so much? Um, can't, a, can't a little sickly lamb be okay? Can't a little, um, you know, maybe uh, the runt of the thing? Uh, can't we just give him... Why do we have to give him the very best of what we got? Let's just give him... If he wants a lamb, let's just give him any old lamb. But why do we have to give him our favorite lamb, our best lamb, our most important lamb? That's why we even say things like, well, why would God want this? Why is he wanting my best time, talent, treasure? Can I just fudge a little bit? Just a little bit? Not, I'm, not, I'm still giving him a lamb. I'm just not giving him the whole lamb. Right? I'm going to give him some money, just not the whole tithe thing. I'm going to give him some of my time, just not everything I got, right? I'm not going to, I'm just going to hold back, right? But he is very specific about this. Don't mess with this. So the animal you must select will be a one-year-old male, sheep or goat with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides of the top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. And uh, so we know here the story is that basically they're taking the lamb, their best lamb, their favorite lamb, most important lamb, and they're going to slaughter that lamb and take the blood and spread it upon the doorpost because they've been warned by Moses if you don't do this, the angel of death is going to come into our, right? And uh, he will kill the firstborn son. This is the last and most terrible plague. 
And so now as the family huddles together, so all the, there's, a, there's a million Israelites right now in Egypt, right? That's what's going on. So there's a whole lot of lambs. And they're going to be and they're going to be killed. And so every every home right that wants to save their son does this. And nobody is like Moses. Uh, we got a problem with this. We don't want to. Ha- we don't think we should have to do this. Uh, no, they're like we've just seen the first through nine plagues. Didn't like any of that stuff. If you're telling us this is going to happen, we're gonna we're going to obey. And so they do. And imagine that night where the, the family takes that lamb. And every, in fact, I'm sure everybody in the room is crying. It's a sad moment. The firstborn son is feeling horrible. But mom and dad know, I am going to save our child by slaughtering the lamb. And they capture some blood and they paint it on their door. And the, and the obedience here that it was required. Even, in fact, even the angel of death has to obey God. The angel of death has to say, uh, I, can't, I'm not, I can't go in there. I can't go in there. I can't go in there. I can go in there. I can't go in there, right? Even the angel, the angel of death has to say, I will obey God. I'm not, right? And so the angel of death passes over their home. There's a lot of sadness in the land. But finally, during the middle of the night, when Pharaoh wakes up and his own son is dead, and the, all the, man, everybody else is, he finally says, get out. Check this out in verse, verse 31. Pharaoh sent, Moses, uh, sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out. Leave my people. Take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go. Worship the Lord as you request to take your flocks and herds. As you said, be gone. Go and bless me as you leave. All the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of their land as quickly as possible. For they thought, if we don't, le- if they don't leave now, we will be all- we will all be wiped out. So every year, the nation of Israel would gather in this holy moment where they would remember the Passover. They celebrate this incredible moment every year. A lamb would be killed every year. They gathered to remember. And we know what that's like, right? So we celebrate the 4th of July. We have Memorial Day. We remember the sacrifices that were, that, that were required for freedom and deliverance. That's why old men will cry at the sound of a national anthem or, a, or the taps at a, at a funeral as the trumpet blasts. We understand that. I didn't used to. I mean, I knew a little bit. I knew my uncle served in World War II in Korea. I knew that some of that stuff had happened, but it didn't touch my family until my son volunteered to be in the army and went to Afghanistan. And he lost friends there. So now when I sing, and I, boy, I told you, I, I would sing that every single time the national anthem was played at a Bennington High School football game or a Memorial Stadium or anywhere. It didn't really matter to me, especially when he, when he was in country. Because I, I, I just knew, right, that the sacrifice for deliverance was real and still to this day. It's tough for me. 
to hear that song and for Memorial Day to roll around. You know that. Many of you do. You know exactly what I'm talking about. So every single Israelite would take a, a, take a lamb and slaughter that lamb and there'd be tears and sorrow, but there was celebration in the fact that they, they had received the grace of God and He passed over their home and they were finally going to be free. Fast forward a few years, uh, uh, way, way or you know, the, that Jesus is on the scene and He comes walking down to a river and here's what happens when John the Baptist sees Him. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward Him and says, Look! the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And probably people are like, what is he talking about? But Jesus knew that someday a man would die for the sins of the people. The Lamb of God. Now, John was a prophet, but he wasn't the only prophet that talked about this. Check this out in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah the prophet says he uh, he gives a picture here he was oppressed and treated harshly yet he never said a word he was led like a lamb to the slaughter see the little lamb and every israelite household didn't fight that didn't even know they're just being led it didn't even if the lamb didn't put up a fight didn't run didn't even make a noise even when the owner of the home took a knife and slid his throat and captured the blood the lamb was just led and jesus himself But he could have. He could have changed his mind. He could have said no. Isaiah paints this great scene. As unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal and put in a rich man's grave. Sound like Easter? Isaiah 1,000, yeah, absolutely. It's just a picture of Easter. Jeremiah, the prophet, would also say it like this in Jeremiah eleven nineteen. I was like a lamb being led to the slaughter. I had no idea that they were planning to kill me. Let's destroy this man and all his words. Let's cut him down so his name will be forgotten forever. These great prophets had a vision of a man who would suffer and die and sacrifice himself for the redemption of the world. It's as if John was saying, your prophets dreamed of this moment. A day when a man would take the place of, instead of sacrificing a sheep, and you, right? Every year they would gather thousands and people would come to, to Jerusalem for the Passover and celebrate it. Later the Apostle Paul wrote write these incredible words in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Let's celebrate the festival, not with old bread and wickedness and evil, but with new bread and sincerity and truth. He would also say this in 1 Corinthians 11. For I pass unto you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. 
we celebrate communion every week. We call it the communion or the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper or Eucharist. And it was, it, and we have a cup of juice and a little piece of bread there that remem- uh, helps us remember. See, we were never told to remember his birth, but we were told to remember his death. We make a big deal out of the birth of Jesus, and we kind of put a little passing thing towards the death of Jesus. There's two things that Jesus said to, to us to re- help us remember the death and burial and resurrection of, of, of Jesus. One is through baptism, and we've had several this morning, and and. Uh, we, we watch a person be lowered and raised to new life, and baptism is a, just a visual reminder of, of the sacrifice that God did for us. Another way we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is through communion. Now, we're never really told how often to do it. It seemed like the first century, everybody, you know, like they did it, it weekly. And so here we have a weekly reminder of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And in a sense, we, we get that idea that there's this thing that passes over us that we call it grace. Because the wages of sin is death, right? We'll, we'll die. Not just a physical death, but we'll be separated from God. And, and if we can't, how do we escape that? Not by painting blood on the doorpost, but by trusting Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. We got to wipe this stuff out. We got to wipe it off the planet. We can't have this here anymore. And so we're going to remove it through the blood of Jesus on the cross. So here in a few moments, each of our campuses will be reminded of the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. If you've never understood that or got that, that he can wipe away all my sin and I don't have to suffer the consequences for that and that I will worship him and him only, then we'd love to talk with you about that. I'd like to pray and then we'll have a little bit of time just to reflect and, and enjoy communion together and just hang with us on this, all right? Let's pray. Today, perhaps... In For the first time in a long time, we decide to stop worshiping idols that mean so much to us, but haven't really delivered a whole lot. And that you are God, and that we are not. And that if you could, and if you would, forgive us of all of our sin, that'd be amazing. And that we could live in a... That we could live in grace... And it's extended to us to forgive us all our sin. Past, present, future stuff will all be gone and we don't have to be afraid anymore. And we don't have to be a slave to our sin and the stuff that we do. Then sign me up. I hope somebody has decided today to follow Jesus. The great I am, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world.